In this Discover Central and Touch of True North edition of the podcast, Nashville's six-game win streak is snapped, but not before they launch themselves into fourth place. Dallas can't seem to get the extra point, but we do see hints the team is on the upswing, still with games in hand. Overachieving Chicago feels the stress of the four teams hunting them down for the final playoff spot. Looking for points, not for style. Meanwhile, Winnipeg was playing for first in the division in the north, but you would have hardly thought it after their road trip. Have some roast beef and wine while enjoying this week's podcast. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week. Discover Central on a touch of True North Edition. It's a look at the three teams that stayed in the Central Division of the eight that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22 and the lone Canadian team, Winnipeg, that is playing up north. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. This podcast was recorded Friday, April 2nd. The Discover Central focus is on Chicago, Dallas, and Nashville with three teams we follow. Just a reminder, the Discover Central is not the namesake this program will properly and accurately be named for beginning next year. Winnipeg playing in the North is tagged onto this edition to make a four-team Central Division split for the podcast. With the interdivisional play with Chicago, Dallas, and Nashville are Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida, Columbus, and Detroit this year. So they are often in the game summaries, and we do need to acknowledge where the teams we cover are competitively with those teams as it relates to the ever-narrowing playoff pitcher. As for Winnipeg, they play the other Canadian teams. It's considered un-Canadian not to think this was the best thing since sliced bread to happen to the NHL. Did I mention I prefer toast? As Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida hold the top three spots in perpetuity again this week in the Central Division, we should first note that Carolina is first by point percentage, 729 point percentage, a point behind both second place Tampa Bay at a 722 point percentage, and third place Florida with a 703 point percentage. Once again, heading into Friday night's action, the Discover Central is the only division with three teams with an over 700 point percentage. Comparatively, the North Division doesn't have one team over 700 point percentage. We could rename the Discover Central edition of the pod going for fourth. The first three playoff spots have felt on lock. Three of our focus teams with Columbus are the four in the mix for that final playoff spot. This past week, as Nashville extended their win streak, they beat Chicago head-to-head twice in regulation, and although tied in games played in points, they hold the first tiebreaker, that is regulation wins, 13-11. to It's that close. Dallas is five points behind, but they do have four games in hand, and as up and down as Columbus' season has been, they are only a couple games from being a 500 team along with Dallas. We can't exclude them just yet. As Nashville went 3-1-0 against Chicago and Dallas, 
only having their six-game win streak snapped by Dallas on Thursday. We start with the team now above the playoff cutoff line. Keep in mind, the game summaries follow in the segments of the teams with the best record. So Nashville at Chicago and Dallas at Nashville are in the Nashville segment. Here's the expanded standings look at Nashville for this week. The last pod Nashville had the 4-1-0 week, and in combination with the 3-1-0 week, they got the better side of 500 since I think the first week of the season. I'm not sure they actually have been until now on that side of 500. Nashville, 513 point percentage, fourth since the last podcast, 3-1-0, Overall, 19-18-1, 38 games played, 39 points, 96 goals for, 113 goals against for a goal differential of minus 17. Let's start with the game summaries for the two wins at Chicago. Saturday, March 27th, a 3-1 win at Chicago. Nashville is without their leading scorer, Philip Forsberg, but does have Luke Cunnan return to the lineup. Chicago has center Kirby Dock return to play his first game of the season. 5-10 into the first, Nashville's Ryan Johansson open scoring, going high glove on Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen from the slot off the cycle. 7:52. Chicago's best chance is Matthias Janmark, who puts it off the post far side on a backhander. 1-0 Nashville after one. Nashville with a 15-6 shot advantage. At 12.58 of the second, off a Chicago defensive zone turnover, Nashville's Rocco Grimaldi goes top shelf glove with a wrister for a Nashville goal. 2.27 left after stopping Chicago's Patrick Kane shot, rookie P.U. Suter beats Nashville goalie UC Saros with a backhand five-hole on the rebound for a Chicago goal, 2-1 Nashville for two. 51 seconds into the third, another Chicago turnover. Nashville's Cunning puts it on the tape net side for a tap-in goal from Mikhail Granlin. Chicago outshoots Nashville 13-4 in the final stanza, but Nashville Saros makes his biggest stop with 8.48 left while he uses his paddle to stop a second effort after stopping Chicago Suter's net front tip. Nashville 3-1 final. 34-30 shots Nashville. Chicago 0-2. Nashville no power plays. Nashville goalie Saros, one goal against, 29 saves for the win. Chicago goalie Lankinen, three goals against, 31 saves for the loss. Sunday, March 28th, a 3-2 win at Chicago. 4-43 of the first. Off a Chicago defensive zone turnover, Nashville's Victor Arvidsons puts it off a Chicago defenseman Calvin DeHaan skate from behind the net. It gets past Chicago goalie Malcolm Subin, short side. Teams playing 4-on-4 with 12.45 left. Chicago goalie Subin stops Nashville's Arvidsson on a breakaway and a chance later by Nashville's Kelly Yarncroak in the same shift. 130 left, Nashville's Matthias Ekholm puts a shot net front. Yarncroak has it go off his skate with no kicking motion and in. 2-0 Nashville after one. A scoreless second, Chicago goalie Subin stops Yarncroak on a 2-on-1 with 5.26 left. Under three left, Chicago defenseman Nicholas Bodine's point shot goes off the post. 34 seconds left, Chicago's Alex Debrinkit puts it over the net on a breakaway on a stretch pass from Patrick Kane. Chicago goalie Subin makes a big stop at the buzzer on Nashville's Arvidsson net front. 
7.35 of the third. Chicago Stabrinkit beats Nashville goalie Pecorini from the low circle short side roof. 1.55 later, Chicago Stabrinkit gets his second goal of the game as off the rush, he drives to the net, goes cross crease and tucks it in on the forehand. With 6.33 to go, Nashville's captain Roman Yossi gets the game-winning goal going blocker side post and in, finishing off a drop pass from Johansson after a Chicago defensive zone turnover. Under a second left, the teams end up in a scrum. Nashville, 3-2 win, 31-29 shots for Nashville, 0 for 1 Nashville, 0 for 3 Chicago on the power play, Nashville goalie Rene. Two goals against, 27 saves for the win. Chicago goalie Subin, three goals against, 28 saves for the loss. From a Nashville perspective, the above-average goaltending isn't what stands out in this set with Chicago. Missing franchise Philip Forsberg, two names that have been quiet all season, center Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson, the Joa in the Jofa line, found the score sheet they also provided the first goal tallies in each of these close games and that helped nashville because really you were thinking okay great but who's going to score for nashville even with good goaltending not exclusively but a pair of top six forwards who haven't done much of it this year for nashville at least showed up at a good time to make a contribution at home, Nashville went 1-1 one one versus Dallas. The first game extended, Nashville's win streak to six games, and they were 8-1 and one in their last nine games until on Thursday when they fell to Dallas in regulation. Let's look at the summaries versus Dallas. Tuesday, March 30th, a 3-2 overtime win versus Dallas. 5.30 of a scoreless first, Nashville goalie UC Saros has a big stop on Dallas's Dennis Gurionov. 6-12 into the second, Dallas goal, rookie Jason Robertson, five hole from the circle on a back pass from Denis Gurionov. 12 seconds after, Dallas goalie Anton Udobin makes a net side pad stop on Nashville's Rocco Grimaldi. At 9.04, Nashville power play goal, Roman Yossi at the top of the circle has a blast that beats Dallas goalie Hudobin far side roof. A minute 58 later, Dallas gets a power play goal as Miro Haskinen from the top of the circle, one-timer, blast, creates a big rebound that Rope hints corrals a backhand into the open cage, 2-1 Dallas through two. And Dallas held a 26-14 shot advantage as well. 2-27 into the third, Dallas's Andrew Cogliano's wrap-around chance is stopped. 49 seconds later, Nashville's Victor Arvidsson is wrapped on a backhand wrap attempt as well. 4.05 in Nashville's Kelly Yarncroke collects a shot that goes off the backboard's net side off of the carom on his backhand. He puts it forehand and in short side for the Nashville game tying goal. At 7.10, Nashville's Luke Cunning has a breakaway that is stopped. With 7.40 left, Nashville's Mikhail Granlin two-on-one keep doesn't go. 139 left, Nashville's Yarncroke in the slot puts it off of Dallas goalie Doby and the crossbar. Two all after three, needing OT. 
129 into overtime. Rookie Ellie Tovalin gets the overtime game-winning goal. Backhand top shelf on a breakaway. 3-2 overtime win for Nashville. 35-26 the shots. Dallas, both teams one for one on the power play. Nashville goalie Saros, two goals against, 33 saves for the win. Dallas goalie Hudobin, three goals against, 23 saves in a loss. Thursday, April 1st, a 4-1 loss for Nashville versus Dallas. 239 Dallas goal off the rush. Blake Como zone entry and then he button curls and passes to defenseman Essa Lindell as he beats Nashville goalie UC Soros low glove. Not sure where Nashville was on the back check on this goal. They weren't in the screen. At 750 Dallas's goalie Anton Hudobin makes a pad save on Nashville's Ryan Johansson on a power play from the slot. 3.39 left Nashville's Colton Sissons gets the puck off the cycle in the corner and skates freely through four Dallas players to the slot untouched and ties the game going five-hole, 1-1 after one. Dallas outshot Nashville 13-4 in the second. At 8.49 after killing off a penalty, Dallas on a two-on-two have the puck carrier Rope Hints and Jason Robertson crisscross and Hints slides the pass to Robertson alone net side for a tap-in goal. With 5.42 left, Nashville three-on-two, Eric Hollis backhand net front shot goes off the post. Nashville takes a late high stick penalty. 2-1 Dallas through two. 141 into the third, a Dallas power play goal. Dennis Gurianov puts the puck on the net off of Nashville defenseman Dante Fabro skate, and it then goes off of Dallas's Jamie Benn skate and past Nashville goalie Saros. No kicking motion. 806 left Dallas's Radic Faxa backhand is stopped off of a Nashville defensive zone turnover. 209 to go. Dallas gets an empty net goal by Miro Haskinen from his own end. That if the cardboard cutout to win a car for the intermission was still in the net. Miro would have won the car, but Dallas will take the two points. Seven seconds left. Dallas's Ty Delandria and Nashville's Luke Cunning fight, and Nashville's Matthew Olivier picked up a 10 minute misconduct at the end of the game. 4 1, Dallas win, 31 22 shots for Dallas. Dallas 1 for 2, Nashville 0 for 3 on the power play. Dallas goalie Hudobin 1 goal against. 21 saves in the win. Nashville goalie Saros, three goals against, 27 saves in the loss. Nashville's perspective on this set. Nashville was full value in the win with great goaltending and putting away their chances. In the loss, they were outplayed, and Dallas was able to get to Nashville's goaltending. Given the six-game stretch and the key players out of the lineup for Nashville, still impressed that Nashville did win a game to get the split here. Nashville's overall analysis. For the second straight podcast, Nashville had the best week of the Discover Central teams we cover going 3-1-0. I have talked about the above-average goaltending Nashville had up until the 4-1 loss to Dallas. Nashville has enjoyed over this stretch. Now at 10-7-0 with a shutout for the season, UC Saros numbers are at a 2.39 goals against average and a 9.23 save percentage. That kind of above average goaltending will win games. Pecorini's numbers aren't as good, but he is at a 900 save percentage and closing in on getting his goals against average under three per game. To me, the management of the duo in net for Nashville will be the key 
to this team continuing to win. I worry putting too much on Soros will have him fall back to average numbers. I hope he can prove me wrong and continue to play above average. The team absolutely needs it. Secondly, the sheer number of injuries would also suggest this run was improbable for Nashville without the goaltending that I'm actually thinking it isn't so cut and dry. Some injured guys weren't performing well in the lineup that went down. You can say Nashville's penalties dropped with Mark Wawrecki's injury. However, Yossi coming back was important and honestly Ryan Ellis is impossible to replace. The emergence of Alex Carrier and the steadiness of Ben Harper in low minutes have made it manageable. The other thing is that Matthias Ekholm has been full value as Nashville's best defenseman all year, and in this stretch, people were actually able to notice it. To me, he's doing what he always does. To everyone else, well, they just actually were able to pay attention enough to see how impactful he quietly always is. Likewise, on the forward group, how impactful was center Matt Deshane in this lineup with his three goals in 23 games played? Sure, it looks like a big loss to the team's top six, but you really should only say that for a player that is performing at a high level when in the lineup. I think it's possible Cali Yarncroke has been given more opportunity, Ellie Tolvanen as well in Deshane's absence. Yarncroke is tied for the team lead in goals, while Tovalin is just two behind. I think it may have also elevated the opportunity for Colton Sissons. They have been good value in the team's notable injuries. We won't say losing franchise Philip Forsberg isn't a big loss to this team. It will be, and the list of injured players seems to stay always as a lengthy one. Forsberg was, for a time, the only Nashville player at a point-per-game pace, now 29 points in 34 games played. That's still eight more points than captain defenseman Roman Yossi's 21 points in 31 games, and he's second in team scoring for Nashville. So last week, I talked about the power play success and Ellie Tovalin. He has five of his nine goals on the power play. I expect that to cool off. Philip Forsberg and opposition teams have to respect him as a legitimate goal-scoring threat on the power play. And that allowed Forsberg to be the setup guy for Tovalin. Go back and watch to see who the primary assist player was on Tovalin's power play goals. It was Forsberg. That dynamic of freeing up Tovalin won't be as easy to do without the two playing as a double threat as it was. The second Dallas game, Nashville went 0 for 3, and that missing Forsberg is going to be a real thing until his return, even as dynamic as Tovalin and his shot is. Here's a burn. Nashville does have, if their goaltending holds up, as good a shot at finishing fourth as any of the teams do that are fighting for it. Look, Columbus has been inconsistent and struggled scoring while getting a less than stellar goaltending this year. Chicago has come down and needs as good of goaltending as Nashville to make the playoffs, but will they get it? Dallas has serious trouble scoring goals and leaving extra points all over the place. They are almost perfecting actual 500 hockey as the next segment dives into. For all of them, the reward for finishing fourth is what? a first-round date with most likely the defending champs or Carolina. And if you could upset, it's the winner of Florida and one of those two teams in the division final. 
For Chicago, they know they are in a rebuild. This uptick for Nashville worries me that they will hold on to aging players instead of stockpiling assets, and if they make it into the playoffs, just be swept in four and looking at the same offseason Nashville just had. If anything, this good stretch relied heavily on the organizational depth and up-and-coming prospects. Why not reward them, play them, and try and get into the playoffs, but trade vets that do command high value for assets as well and not postpone the process when the team isn't a cup contender anymore? If you're Nashville and you get in, great. The young players can experience a bit of the playoffs, but realistically, it won't be a long appearance. Nashville's team metrics, they stayed tied for 27th to 31 teams and goals scored at 2.45 again this week. They need above-average goaltending. Improved three spots league-wide to be at 17th from 20th in goals allowed at 2.97. That number, of course, is because the goaltending's been better. The power play dropped two spots to 17th at a 20.4% success percentage. The penalty kill heading into Saturday's game is now 31st, last in the NHL at a 72.1% success rate. None of those ranks are in the top 16 again in the league, even with the 3-1-0 week. Nashville's goal differential for the week was a plus one, and that keeps them with the third worst in the division on goal differential at a minus 17. Only Columbus and Detroit have worse goal differentials, and we're not expecting them to be in the playoffs. When we say Nashville needs above-average goaltending to win, it's factual. If it doesn't continue, neither will the wins for Nashville. Useless factoid, there are no Nashville defensemen that have played every game this year for them. Dante Fabro is the closest with 36 games played, while only two forwards have played every game of the 38 thus far. Victor Arvidsson and Colton Sissons. Honestly, before this year, I would have thought that would be unimaginable for a team to face. But this shortened season, the list of who has played every game is the shortest for the majority of the teams. I can appreciate Nashville has had more than its share. Thumbs up, Kelly Yarncroke, who plays under 60 minutes a game average time on ice he had two goals and an assist in the four games played covered in this podcast including a two-point game versus dallas in nashville's 3-2 win that put him with philip forsberg for the team lead with 11 goals however forsberg is hurt yarn croak has played two fewer games than forsberg to reach that same goal total to this point in the season Thumbs down to Nick Cousins. He was held pointless through the four games covered in this podcast. And even though Nashville went 3-1-0, he was a plus-minus-minus-four for those four games. He hasn't scored a goal since March 11th. That's 11 games and counting. And in 37 games played, meaning he has missed only one, he has three goals for the season. Remember Craig Smith? He has six goals in 32 games played with Boston. I just looked that up. I was curious. And for our other weekly Nashville update, Nashville is 3-1 and one with Mikhail Granlin not in the lineup. They are 16-17-1 with him in the lineup this year. One of those is above 500. The other is not to be continued. 
In additional news, the latest out of Nashville is a number of key players are week-to-week right now, including left-winger franchise Philip Forsberg, upper body, right-hand defenseman Ryan Ellis, upper body, center Matt Deshane, lower body, center Brad Richardson, lower body, defenseman Mark Borowicki, upper body, left-hand defenseman Lucas Pisa, upper body, and now add, as listed day-to-day, center Ryan Johansson and defenseman Alex Carrier. Take a breath. Up next, three games Saturday versus Chicago, Tuesday, Thursday at Detroit. The only thing that could possibly balance this type of injury list is above average goaltending and that two of Nashville's next three are against basement dwelling Detroit. There is just a limit to where the injury list is to maybe evening out success in Detroit. Really, the goalie tantum are going to need to be lights out again this upcoming week. And it will be interesting to see who Nashville can dress in front of the tantum of Saros and Rene. We move to look at Dallas next as their 1-1-2 week was the next best of the three focus teams in the Discover Central. Here's where they sit in the Discover Central division standings. Dallas, a 500 point percentage, is a sixth based on point percentage since the last podcast one one and two overall 12 12 and 10 34 games played 34 points 95 goals for 92 goals against for a plus three goal differential by point percentage they are six columbus does have two more points having played four more games but that also is why we use point percentage it just better reflects where a team is at we start our look at Dallas with the game summaries with the overtime loss and regulation loss to Florida in back-to-back games at home. Saturday, March 27th, a 4-3 overtime loss versus Florida. 24 seconds off the rush, Florida gets a goal, put short side. 8-0-1, Dallas's Jamie Benn puts it off the top of the crease where Dennis Guriana buries it for a Dallas goal on Florida goalie Sergei Bobrovsky. A minute 56 seconds later, Dallas off the cycle from the top of the circle. Defenseman John Klingberg puts home a one-timer far side top shelf. Three minutes left, Florida get a power play goal on a second effort jam past Dallas goalie Anton Udobin while he tries to get his glove on it. 2-2 after one. In the second, 2-20 left, Florida gets a shorthanded goal. Carter Verhage completes his hat trick top corner glove from the circle on a Dallas turnover in a defensive zone at the blue line while on the power play. 3-2 Florida through two. Three minutes into the third, Dallas's Joel Lesperance gets his first NHL goal on a high slot tip on a defenseman Joel Hanley slot pass. 3-3 after three, needing three-on-three OT. 44 seconds left, Florida defenseman Aaron Ekblad looks to net the overtime game-winning goal, finishing a Florida two-on-one short side. The play is reviewed, and Ekblad is called offside, negating his winning goal. 29 seconds left, Dallas Miro Haskinen is robbed by Florida goalie Bobrovsky without his goal stick. 10 seconds left in the five-minute overtime, Florida's Aaron Ekblad gets the overtime game-winning goal on a backhand blocker side on another Florida two-on-one for the Florida 4-3 overtime win. Dallas 0 for 3, Florida 1 for 3 on the power play, 34-28 shots for Dallas, Dallas goalie Hudobin 4 goals against, 24 saves in the loss, Dallas Arope Hints did not play. Sunday, March 28th, a 4-1 loss versus Florida, 4-32, Dallas's Jason Robertson high tip goes a low glove side for the power play goal to open 
the scoring. 31 seconds later, Florida gets a goal. Far side top shelf on Dallas goalie Jake Oninger off the cycle and Dallas's Jamie Benn's defensive zone giveaway. At 6.26, Florida gets a penalty shot goal. Blocker side, forehand, goes bar in. 7.14 left, Dallas goalie Ottinger makes a glove save on a Florida 2-on-1. 6.23 left, the power play goal for Florida on a wrister from the top circle that goes in far side. 3-1 Florida after one. Scoreless second with 11.31 left. Florida hits the post from the slot on a power play. 11.02 left. Dallas's Essa Lindell and Florida's Aaron Ekblad collide. And Ekblad falls awkwardly as his leg buckles and skates twist underneath his own weight. Play stopped and Ekblad needed a stretcher to be taken from the ice. Seven minutes into the third, a Florida wraparound attempt is stopped. And Dallas's rope hints... At the other end, on a breakaway, is stopped. At 7.22, Dallas' Dennis Gurionov and Florida's Noel Achari fight after a Gurionov chance. With a minute and a half to go, Dallas's Ben puts it through the crease, 6-on-5. With 105 left, Florida gets an empty net goal. 34-23 shots for Florida. 1-3 for three Dallas, 1-4 for four Florida on the power play. Dallas goalie Ottinger. Three goals against, 19 saves in the loss. First, I want to talk about Florida's Aaron Ekblad. Here's a guy who was having a stellar campaign that, to me, was solidifying what I already knew. The 2014 first overall pick was that rare cornerstone defenseman that is a key to a championship team. For me, it was the World Cup of Hockey back in 2016. Ekblad was a part of the 23 and under Team North America that were hands down the funnest team to watch in that tournament, if not the best team in the tournament. Of the defense on that team that included Colton Perenko of St. Louis, Seth Jones, Jacob Truba, Morgan Riley, Shane Gossespierre, and Ryan Murray, Ekblad was the best defenseman in that tourney for Team North America. And even today, I can maybe think of a handful of 25 or under defensemen in the NHL that I would want as an NHL GM to have more than Ekblad. Florida was already missing top center Alexander Barkov, and I believe Ekblad, with his OT winner in the first of the two games, was at that point tied for goals for defensemen at the time of his injury with 11 league-wide. Florida isn't a team we focus on in the podcast, but they have been battling for top spot all year in the Discover Central. They are well coached by John Quinville, who of course led Chicago to Stanley Cup wins. And while probably only because they play in Florida, Barkoff and Ekblad are often underappreciated for absolutely how talented and elite they are at their respective key positions. At 25 minutes and 5 seconds average time on ice, no one on Florida plays more minutes than Ekblad. His defensive partner, Mackenzie Wigger, averages 22-10 time on ice and is an analytics crowd darling. Wigger is good, but when you are playing with, to me, the best 25-year-old or under defenseman in the National Hockey League, that probably will help your analytics. I would actually like those analytics guys to uh, show me when Wigger is not playing with Ekblad that those analytics are as good which in this stretch now is a possibility as well barkoff leads all the florida forwards at 21 plus 
minutes average time on ice. Ekblad underwent successful leg surgery on a fracture in his left leg and is expected to make a full recovery. However, in 12 weeks, that basically ends this season, sadly, for him. In 35 games played, he had 22 points. Simply, at some point, I wanted to talk about Ekblad because he is a guy that I have all the time in the world for as one of the most underrated, skilled, two-way defensemen in the National Hockey League, who is just coming into his prime. To me, Florida is a cup contender this year, and he was part of why I felt that. Unfortunately, the injury is why I'm talking about him now, and I'd rather have been talking about him for a Norris Trophy consideration and under better circumstances. Do wish him all the best in his recovery, and if you ever needed one reason to watch Florida, and there are many, Aaron Ekblad is my go-to reason since that World Cup of Hockey tournament. For the Dallas perspective on the games against Florida, I don't want to kill the narrative, but it's goal scoring. As I talked about in the last podcast, there aren't enough contributors on a nightly basis. And then when the game is in extra time, it's the opposition getting the extra point. The Dallas players know this, but the single point in the set of two games simply means they need to get some more from the top six who haven't contributed. And Ben and Gurionov are on the score sheet in this series as is the defense and even a rookie in the 4-3 overtime loss. They still need to do that every night and, I guess, find some more to win in extra time. Collectively, it just hasn't been enough for Dallas this year. Florida is a great team. We're not discounting that at all. Dallas can compete with them. They just seem to come up a little short, and that's why they are 500 right now. It's not that Dallas doesn't have players who can score. It's just collectively, and this is mostly for the forward group beyond Hintz, Pavelski, and rookie Robertson, and it also doesn't include the defense that have contributed, especially the top four. It's the other guys that have to find ways to hit the score sheet more consistently so Dallas wins more often. Again, we covered these in the Nashville segment, but just to remind you of the scores, Tuesday was a 3-2 overtime loss to Nashville, and then Thursday, April 1st, was a 4-1 win at Nashville. The Dallas perspective in the loss to Nashville, it just seemed that Nashville had the puck luck and capitalized on their limited opportunities, while Dallas didn't finish on their chances. In the win, Dallas did get some bounces finally, like in the third period on the power play goal. However, they also created opportunities such as the Hintz-Robertson goal, and finished on them. They really need to figure out how to win in extra time. But three of four points is a single point overall in the right direction. Still, Dallas needs to get more finish, no pun intended, as in this set, it was just the finish born Hintz, Lindell, and Haskinen who had the finishing touch in this set along with Robertson. Dallas's overall analysis, Dallas's practically at the same wins, losses, and overtime shootout losses, and that extra offense needed isn't a secret as to how Dallas can string together a much-needed win streak. I almost think I have discussed that over and above, and it's enough. And when we look later at the defensive metrics that overall this team has a plus goal differential on the year, well, I just think I talked about it at length. 
it will happen and the players like Gurianov and Ben and the bottom six guys will find the back of the net more or we'll be saying it's the reason Dallas lost simply because they didn't I'd like to be more insightful for you to hear that it was as simple as that. But really, I honestly think of all the teams out of the playoffs, Dallas is the team that should be holding fourth spot, and the goal scoring is the reason they're not. I think they have depth, and contribution from rookies has been comparable. Well, maybe Chicago collectively has had a greater one, but they've also had to play a lot more rookies, like five-plus in more than double the games as any other team in the league, more rookies. Dallas has had a top-heavy home schedule, playing six more at home than on the road. That will even out before the end of the season, and it also makes it more difficult for Dallas to make up ground. That's reality, and that could be another key to why this season Dallas doesn't turn it around. Like, you can talk about the games in hand all you want. It's only going to make a difference if they are wins, an even more difficult task to be getting those wins on the road. I really like this Dallas team, and whatever happens this year, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be ranking them as an expected playoff team next year and for the foreseeable future. This season just hasn't picked up where Dallas left off in the playoff bubble. The parts are all playoff caliber. They just haven't fit together like they should, but just maybe it's just not in time for this season to be saved. The team metrics for Dallas is at a 2.76 for goals scored. That's tied for 18th league-wide. That's up a spot from last time. The power play is up to 24.5%, and that paths them going from a tie for 11th to 6th overall. Those offensive metrics had a bump for the first time in a while, and that gives me reason to be optimistic. Dallas has a chance at making the playoffs this year. Dallas is ninth in goals allowed at 2.56, and the penalty kill is down from 18th to be ranked 22nd at 76.7%. The last metric needs improving, but I didn't think on an individual game over this stretch it can explain the drop in the ranking that Dallas had that the power play and the goals allowed are in top 10 position in the league should also tell you that this team probably with more goal scoring should be a playoff bound team and right now they're not useless factoid for Dallas with two more overtime losses they have a total of 10 in OT or a shootout of the 12 they've played extra time the basic law of averages of winning say half of the time would give dallas four more points in the standings that could be one of the determining factors in them not making the playoffs this year thumbs up dallas leading goal scorer from last year dennis gurionov had three points including a goal in the 4-3 shootout loss to florida in the four dallas games we cover this week He was one of the guys we said needed to contribute more, and he did. Thumbs down, Dallas forward Andrew Cogliano is now on a nine-game goal streak. He has three goals in 32 games played this year. As a bottom six third liner, he is a guy that producing more offense would help Dallas win in these close games they're always having. Additional news, having forward Rope Hintz lower body, forward Alexander Radulov, lower body are back on IR. The team remains without forward Yol Kiviranta lower body as well. 
Up next, four games Saturday and Sunday at Carolina, Tuesday, Thursday at Chicago. To me, this is getting the extra goals needed to win. Realistically, Carolina is a great team that Dallas will have a tough time against. Chicago, however, has struggled more of late, and you can find out more about that Chicago team as they're featured in our next segment. Going to take a quick break and come back to look at Chicago when we return with more on Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week in our Discover Central and Touch of True North podcast. Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week in our Discover Central and A Touch of True North podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. We finished looking at the Discover Central with Chicago. Tied in points, but not in the tiebreaker. Chicago is now outside of the playoffs looking in, as we talked about off the top of the podcast. Here's where Chicago sits in the Discover Central Division standings. Chicago has a 513 point percentage, which has them fifth. Since the last podcast, they went 1-3-0. Overall, 17-16-5. 38 games played, 39 points. 109 goals for, 119 goals against for a minus 10 goal differential. The game summaries, of course, for the two home losses to Nashville were covered in the Nashville section. That was a 3-1 loss Saturday versus Nashville, followed by a 3-2 loss on Sunday in the back-to-backs to Nashville. For a Chicago perspective, Chicago, to me, just didn't have their speed game going to really challenge Nashville's goalies who have been playing above average as of late. Chicago got down early in both games, not a good thing, didn't have a big pushbacks when they did get down, and made far too many turnovers in the defensive zone that mostly haunted them as in ugly fashion, they found their way behind Chicago's goalies. Unexpected because both teams were looking at the playoff spot hanging in the balance, and yet the team in Nashville, with more players sidelined with injuries, played like they wanted it more, and won both games in Chicago's house, where, last week, I had raved Chicago was playing good. That leads to Chicago's set of games Tuesday and Thursday against Carolina, where they went 1-1. One and one. Tuesday, March 30th, was a 2-1 win versus Carolina. A scoreless first, multiple grade-A Carolina scoring chances in the opening three minutes on Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen. 4-10 in, Carolina drives a net, but Chicago goalie Lankinen makes another stop. 29 seconds into the second, Chicago's Dylan Strom off of a Carolina neutral zone turnover keeps on a Chicago 2-on-1, short-sided, lifted for the goal. 
402 Chicago's Patrick Kane strips the puck off of a Carolina defenseman in the slot and slides it into an open net side for a power play goal by Alex Dabrinkit. 505 Chicago goalie Lankinen stops a Carolina wraparound chance. 608 Chicago defenseman Adam Boquist lets a hard point wrister that goes off of the Carolina crossbar. 419 left. Carolina gets a goal off of an offensive zone faceoff battle that is deflected and goes off a Chicago defenseman and in. Carolina held a 25 13 shot advantage through 2 2 1 Chicago after 2. Scoreless in the third, Carolina outshot Chicago 32 16 in the 2 1 Chicago win. 1 for 2, Chicago 0 for 1, Carolina power play, Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen, 1 goal against 31 saves. Thursday, April 1st, a 4-3 loss versus Carolina. 9:48 into the first, Carolina gets a goal on a cross-seam pass from the dot. Short side bar down on Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen. 1-0 Carolina after one as Lankinen keeps Chicago in the game with Carolina outshooting Chicago 13-3. 2.22 into the second, Carolina gets a goal off the forecheck. The puck is put net front off a Chicago defender and in the net. 5.16 in, Chicago's dock on a power play is denied on a net front drive. 9.37 in, Chicago's Brandon Hagel stop from the slot. 4.29 left, Chicago's Dominique Kubalik off a stretch pass, goes far side low with a rolling puck to score. 2-1 Carolina through 2. 5.46 into the third, Chicago goal. Hagel has a bouncing puck deflect off of him and go in. A minute six seconds later, Carolina gets a goal as a shot off the backboards is put off of Chicago goalie Kevin Lincoln in and in. At 10.24, a Chicago point shot is tipped in the slot by Dylan Strom to tie the game at three apiece. 40 seconds left, Chicago's Kubalik forehand five hole is stopped and Carolina gets a goal with 29 seconds left on a big Chicago goalie Lincoln and rebound to win 4-3 in regulation 31-25 shots Carolina Chicago 0 for 3 Carolina 0 for 1 on a power play Chicago goalie Lincoln and four goals against 27 saves in the loss should I just chalk this set where Chicago goes one and one to how Chicago goalie Kevin Lincoln and played well, we could do that. The win, Lankinen was full value with one goal against and making 31 saves. After the first, in the second game, Chicago held a 22-18 shot advantage in the 4-3 loss. The killer was a big rebound goal that also meant the loss was in regulation and Chicago failed to pick up points. To be fair, Carolina is full value for the way they play and Chicago picked up a split in these two games. They, however, did leave points on the table in this set, giving up that late game-winning goal. Chicago's overall analysis. To me, this past week, Chicago had to find a way to come out of the set of four games with a split. First, and most important, was taking care of business at home with the team on their heels, Nashville. That we talked about, Nashville, off the top of this podcast of the Focus segments, says all it needs to. Chicago lost both in regulation, and although the teams are tied in points, Nashville holds the first tiebreaker and are fourth in the division, while Chicago is now fifth. The split with Carolina is what we like about Chicago's week. Carolina is a playoff team, and while Nashville is getting above-average goaltending and putting up wins, I'm not quite sure I'm all in on them being a playoff team. Now, the four games played versus Nashville head-to-head this year, 
The concerning thing for Chicago is they are 0-2-2. Nashville has picked up four wins on them and half the team's series with, as you have heard in the Nashville section, and when we talk about Chicago's next game, another versus Nashville who has found a way to beat Chicago even when Nashville early on was struggling overall, and Nashville now has strung together a run, put themselves into a playoff spot, and even more so from a Chicago perspective, the team Chicago really needs to figure out how to win. Another Nashville win in Chicago won't win the season head-to-head series, no matter what happens in the last three games they play after this upcoming week. The importance of a win Saturday against Nashville for Chicago has to be a priority as we talk about what's coming up. The good news is that Chicago, when not playing Nashville, look quite capable of winning, as they showed against Carolina. I hate to say Nashville and Chicago both go how far their goaltending takes them, but it's pretty true for both. Almost to say if either gets above average goaltending more than the other one of the teams, that's the one that could snag the final playoff spot. That, to be honest was probably actually Dallas's to lose. Chicago is, as announced, in their rebuild and absolutely overachieved to the point where now the fan base could potentially be disappointed they don't make the playoffs. Really, we should remind you, they weren't supposed to this year. Meanwhile, Nashville, I didn't expect to fare much better than Chicago, although Nashville's fan base was told they would be a playoff team. So in fairness, where they both are is kind of about right right now. The thing for Chicago and Nashville is that Dallas hasn't been anywhere where we expected them to be. And for that matter, the same could be said of Columbus. So it is a four-way race for the final playoff spot and Chicago is in the mix. I'm not disappointed other than Chicago would be in the fourth playoff spot by simply being better in the head-to-head series with Nashville, and so they haven't been, and if that puts Nashville in, well, they were the better of the teams when playing against each other. However, both Nashville and Chicago probably shouldn't sleep on Dallas. For Chicago, spoiler alert, after one versus Nashville It is Dallas at home and then at Columbus. So as odd as the Carolina split was good, all the other games are who they need to beat to be in fourth spot. Chicago is 0-2 against those teams uh, with those Nashville losses. With the next five against those teams, they're battling for that final playoff spot with. This is a time for Chicago to go on a win streak. Simply, Chicago wins they get in if they don't they won't for the most part they have a good number of games against the teams trying to finish fourth in nashville dallas and columbus those are the games chicago needs to win nice to win against carolina it's not who you have to beat happy as well chicago center kirby doc returned although comparatively to say st louis forward vladi tarasenko it also didn't have an instant impact. It's going to take Doc some games, it looks, to find his form. It also is not something that Chicago really has the time for him to find his form. Nashville has caught them. Dallas is in striking distance of both Nashville and Chicago. Doc was a force in the playoff bubble for Chicago. Since his return, he hasn't had that type of impact. It's only been four games played. 
no pressure on Doc. He has no points in the set versus Nashville. He had two assists in the set versus Carolina. To me, it's just getting back to full impact for him for this team. It is an impactful top six player for Chicago to have down the stretch, and he's going to need to be. I don't have expectations for Chicago, but I do think they have as good a chance as Nashville or Dallas to be the fourth playoff team in the Discover Central. I almost want to say it's 30% for Chicago, Nashville, and Dallas with 10% chance out of 100 for Columbus at this point. However, if we are talking in the focus segments last about Chicago and not first going forward like this week, Dallas and Nashville are closer to that playoff spot than Chicago is. Also, long term, I wouldn't worry about the playoff spot as a priority for Chicago If a good opportunity to be a seller at the deadline on veterans not named Kane or Keith, I would think if there was a multi-return package for Chicago, they should take advantage of it. As fun as Tampa Bay versus Chicago would be for a first-round playoff matchup to watch, the gauntlet that will be trying to win the Discover Central this year against Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida Well, to me, future assets and continuing the rebuild is more important than this year's playoffs for Chicago, whether they get in or not. It's the same thing I would say for Nashville. Chicago is more likely to actually be a seller. It's the better long-term plan for both organizations this year. Chicago's team metric. Chicago is 16th with 2.82 goals scored. Again, the hard numbers, not the rank, are slightly down from a week ago. The power play at 26.7 success percentage has its hard numbers up. But Chicago stayed third in the league, and it was two podcasts ago they were top spot when we recapped. The team's goals allowed is 3.08. That has them 22nd and remaining the same as it was a week ago. The penalty kill ranked is up a spot at 26th overall with a 74.3% success rate now. The metrics saved for the power play really aren't those of a playoff team for Chicago, and that could be the story as the season unfolds. Five-on-five scoring isn't bad, but the defensive numbers in goals allowed does cost this team games. They, like Nashville, need above-average goaltending to win. Chicago ranks last in shots on goal, an average of 33.9 per game. Only above average goaltending can assist in that stat, not costing a team wins. And lately, the goalie at the other end of the rink playing for the opposition, being stellar, also makes winning harder. Chicago's useless factoid. The next 10-game stretch, Chicago really needs to do well. They have four versus Nashville, two versus Dallas, two versus Columbus, and two versus Detroit. If they aren't sitting in a playoff spot, the next six games after are versus Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina, and it will be difficult to make up ground at that point. This upcoming 10-game stretch probably will define the fate of Chicago's season as far as the playoffs. Thumbs up, center Dylan Stroms returned to the lineup in the second game versus Nashville. Overshadowed by Doc's return, Strom came back and added goals for Chicago in two of the first three games he played. After Keenan DeBrinket, we haven't talked about Chicago's goal scoring by committee as often as I probably should have for the success that they've had this year. Strom has seven goals in 26 games played. That's a good example of when he's been healthy, 
he's been contributing. Thumbs down, talking about the seven goals Strom has, is identical to rookie Philip Kurashev's, yet he has played 37 games played for Chicago this season. However, the last goal he scored was March 15th versus Florida. Kurashev hasn't scored in eight games played or had a point over that stretch. Part of the early success for Chicago was due to his contributions that lately haven't been there. We know he can score, so the sooner he ends his current slump, the better for the team. In additional lose, a late addition to the podcast. As I recorded Friday, Chicago acquired former Blackhawk Vinny Hinestroza, who was drafted by Chicago and played for the team from 2015 to 2018. He was in Arizona for the last two seasons, and in nine games played with Florida this season, he has no points prior to the trade. Going the other way was forward Brad Morrison, 24. He hasn't played an NHL game yet. He was traded to Chicago in the trade that saw defenseman Ole Mata go to L.A. this past offseason. Up next, three games, the big important one Saturday at Nashville, and then Tuesday, as importantly, games versus Dallas. If I didn't make this clear, Chicago has a 10-game strike that impacts their playoff destiny. These three are especially vital to that. Regulation wins are the key. Switching scenery, let's finish the podcast with a touch of True North as we look at Winnipeg. Here's where they sit in the standings in the North Division heading into Friday night's games. Winnipeg is 622 point percentage second. Since the last podcast, they went 2-2-0. Overall, 22-13-2. 37 games played, 46 points. 120 goals for 102 goals against for a plus 18 goal differential. Winnipeg went 2-1-0 in the three games to finish off their seven-game road trip. Let's look at the summaries against Calgary, the three games they finished that road trip off against. Friday, March 26th, was a 3-2 win at Calgary. 9-13 of the first Winnipeg's Kyle Connor shot pass is tipped by Paul Statsny and goes off Blake Wheeler's skate and in no-kicking motion. And past Calgary goalie Jacob Markstrom, 1-0 Winnipeg after 1. 5.33 of the second Winnipeg's KC gets his second as he puts in his own rebound on a breakaway. With 4.51 left, Calgary rings the crossbar. 2-0 Winnipeg through 2. 2.23 of the third Winnipeg KC is stopped on a breakaway, trying to go for the Hattie. 6.52 in, Calgary gets a power play goal as the puck is sent in that front and goes off a Winnipeg defender past Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck. 9.12 left, Winnipeg's March Shifley keeps on a 2-on-1 but can't score. 7 53 to go. Calgary's Milan Lucic takes four minutes worth of penalties. And in the back half, Calgary goalie Markstrom puts it over the glass for a delay of game penalty. And Winnipeg gets a five on three with 6.23 left. 5.06 left. Winnipeg's Paul Statsny finishes off a tic tac toe play in the slot for a Winnipeg power play goal. 159 left. Calgary gets a tap in net front goal, playing six on five, but Winnipeg holds on for the 3 2 win. Shots 29 27 Winnipeg. Two for six Winnipeg. One for four Calgary on the power play. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck. Two goals against 25 saves in a win. Saturday on the back to back. March 27th, a 4 2 loss at Calgary. 336 left in the first. Winnipeg goalie Laurent Bossois stops a Calgary wraparound attempt. Two late first period. Calgary goals with 247 left. A net front rebound is jammed in short side and a power play goal point blast that isn't fully blocked goes in glove side with 46 seconds left. Calgary 2-0 after 1. 
34 seconds into the second, Winnipeg's Mason Appleton is lost by Calgary's defensive coverage and puts away a wrister far side from the far slot on a Calgary defensive zone turnover. At 6:19, Winnipeg's Logan Stanley gets his first NHL goal. Off the Winnipeg cycle, he pinches and puts a wrister short side bar down from the circle. With 7.20 left, Winnipeg defenseman Tucker Pullman's point shot goes off the post. Two all through two. 49 seconds into the third, Calgary gets a goal off the wing on a zone entry that goes in five hole. A goal that Winnipeg goalie Brassois needs to stop. 7.48 in, Calgary puts in a shot just over the Winnipeg blue line. That is going wide until Winnipeg goalie Brassois plays it with a stick and that puts it into his own net short side 9:33, a calgary two-on-one chance goes off the post with under two and a half left winnipeg's kyle connor beats calgary goalie david riddich but riddich gloves the puck out of harm's way and shuts down the net front scramble to lead calgary to a 4-2 final 33 24 shots calgary 0 for 2 winnipeg 1 for 2 calgary on the power play winnipeg goalie brassois four goals against 29 saves in the loss Monday, March 29th, a 5-1 win for Winnipeg at Calgary. 2:24 in Calgary on a power play. Get a goal on a tic-tac-toe play tapped in five-hole net side on Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebeck as Winnipeg makes a bad line change shorthanded. At 2:52, Calgary's Noah Hannafin goes after Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois, who doesn't engage as Hannafin doesn't like Dubois' hit on Calgary defenseman Chris Tanov off the forecheck. 5.58 left, Winnipeg goalie Helly makes a big stop on Calgary net front tip and a rebound chance. 3.41 left, Nate Thompson scores European football style on a slot pass from defenseman Dylan DeMello for a Winnipeg goal. After the review, it is determined it's a good goal, simply proving that kicking motion doesn't necessarily mean a goal won't be a good one. A minute 54 seconds later, Winnipeg nets a goal as Mark Shifley's one-timer from the low circle goes short side on a Winnipeg 2-on-1 with Kyle Connor. 2-1 Winnipeg after one. 3-31 of the second, Winnipeg's Shifley gets his second of the game as he puts away his own rebound in the slot. At 5:32, Calgary looked to score, but officials call Calgary's Milan Lucic for goalie interference. 5:29 left, Winnipeg goal by Andrew Kopp finishing off a tic-tac-toe play with Shifley and Nick Ehlers for a tap-in on Calgary goalie Jacob Markstrom. 4-1 Winnipeg through two. Calgary puts goalie David Riddich in to start the third. 104 into the third, Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois from the top of the circle goes short side roof for a Winnipeg goal. At 153, Calgary ring the post from the slot and Winnipeg wins 5-1. 30-29 shots for Calgary. 0-2 for two, Winnipeg, 1-4 for four, Calgary on the power play. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck, one goal against 29 saves for the win. Going 2-1 and one to finish the road trip was kind of the minimal for Winnipeg. The game Winnipeg lost, they battled back from being down 2 after 1 to having it tied at 2 after 2. Unfortunately, in a rare occurrence, the goaltending let them down as Persuas allowed 2 that he never should have let in and they couldn't duplicate erasing the two-goal deficit twice in the same game. The 2-1 Calgary series was the difference in returning home on an otherwise 500-played hockey road trip that two of the three losses are against, sure, to be playoff team in Edmonton, 
and all the wins against teams Vancouver and Calgary. Even the loss could have been a, a win if the goaltending was better on that rare night loss that it wasn't. Well, Vancouver and Calgary are both most likely to not be playoff bound. Four and three on a seven-game road trip that, although all the games matter to going to the playoffs, I kind of just sense this team needs something extra for the playoffs where they will play Edmonton or the overhyped other Canadian team or both. And with that, we move on to Winnipeg returning home for their game Wednesday, March 31st, which was a 3-1 to loss versus the overhyped other Canadian team. 440 into the first, the overhyped other Canadian team gets a goal from the slot as Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois misses an open ice hit and ends up taking out teammate defenseman Derek Forbert on the play. 1047, the overhyped other Canadian team gets a goal. The puck goes off the post short side and the rebound is put away by the overhyped other Canadian team player who is draped over Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck attempting to make the save. Winnipeg does a coach's challenge for goalie interference and that fails. It's a good goal, proving video review is subject to the eyes of the reviewer reviewing it. But hey, it balances out right. Remember the football goal by Winnipeg Nate Thompson in that Calgary game stood. Winnipeg down 2 nothing after 1. 3.20 left into the second, a shorthanded goal by the overhyped other Canadian team on a breakaway. Part of a four-minute high-stick penalty on the overhyped other Canadian team. 35 seconds after, Winnipeg does get a power play goal by Josh Morrissey. A point shot finds the back of the net. Winnipeg down 3-1 through 2. Scoreless and low event third as Winnipeg falls 3-1. Shots 27-26 Winnipeg. 1-for-4 Winnipeg. Over 5 for the overhyped other Canadian team on the power play. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck. 3 goals against. 23 saves in the loss. Winnipeg captain Blake Wheeler did not play after the first period with a undisclosed injury. The roast beef and wine game, as assistant coach Charlie Huddy's a term for a team not winning the first game home after a long road trip. Winnipeg was a step behind in this one, and while being worried about coming out slow, they still managed to do it. Didn't look like a first place showdown game at all. And if you were to fall asleep in the third, well, you didn't miss a thing. A perfect beat the traffic game to leave early if fans were permitted to attend games and they aren't yet in Winnipeg. Winnipeg's overall analysis, Winnipeg is still battling for a top spot, still looking like the better bridesmaid. They have been on the steps of the altar inching closer, but still never first in the division. Really, is a complete team from goaltending to the forward group 12. Winnipeg looks more balanced with an overall group that is better than the overhyped other Canadian team in Edmonton. That's excluding the bedtime sleeper of a recent game of the two teams, which we just talked about, was exactly what was expected the first game back for Winnipeg after a long road trip. It was a costly loss for Winnipeg, but the outcome only surprising that the overhyped other Canadian team kind of didn't look like a first place team either. Now, the Colorado versus Arizona game later that evening was everything this game wasn't the same night, and Arizona isn't a top-tier team. But the first six minutes of that game had three times more of the highlights than you could glean from the full 60 of Winnipeg's last game with the overhyped other Canadian team. 
Switching gears, the race for first is more complex than just the overhyped other Canadian team. Edmonton's goalies have surprisingly found a way to play better. And there are nights their star players just flat out, go out, and win them games. Short of Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck, who does flat out win Winnipeg games himself, for Winnipeg, it's more of a collective line dominance needed by Winnipeg to win by comparison to those other top North Division teams. And all three of those teams would be wise not to sleep on Montreal, who having returned from a forced COVID pause, have games in hand, but a point percentage that if those extra games are win, could have them at the top of the North Division by the time the playoffs arrive. That said to me, really, the favorable first round matchup for Winnipeg would actually be Montreal. Now, not everybody agrees with me on that one, but to me, that's who it is. And it's a possibility. Winnipeg's season falls still on having to win a series or a pair of them against Edmonton or the overhyped other Canadian team or both. There is something in those matchups after the goaltending that makes those teams just seem like the worst dance partner for this Winnipeg team. Well, let's give it a word. A star forward overload. And let's explain so that you understand what I'm talking about. Expand using Chicago. They would do a star overload when down a goal in previous years where Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, who would start on different lines, would then play together to give Chicago the boost or comeback needed to win by being played together, often double shifted at key times. That's what Edmonton does with McDavid and Dreisaitl, actually in overload, and it's something the overhyped other Canadian team does with its M&Ms. All of that had me look at the Winnipeg forward group set as great for matchups when the team you're playing against actually rolls four lines. The team that does that of the four going into the North playoffs is Montreal. The other teams don't. And that's your mismatches. Structurally, then Winnipeg's lines don't counterbalance it. For Coach Paul Maurice, he needs to figure out how to do that. Winnipeg's playoff fortunes, to me, depend on it. If you think of the defensively strong lines for Winnipeg, it's the third line of Cop, Lowry, and Appleton. But I've always wondered when they play Edmonton or the overhyped other Canadian team, if late in games Cop, Lowry, and Wheeler as a line might be better experience-wise and stronger for when the opposition plays its elite forwards in overload. And it's not a knock on Appleton. He is defensively strong, but he is short on experience of the high pressure that Wheeler has experienced more. Likewise, then, who are the other three Winnipeg forwards to counter the Edmonton overload? Because they double shift often. Winnipeg does have a strong top nine. It's debatable, but Paul Statsny, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Mason Appleton are probably more sound defensively after Cop, Lowry, and Wheeler, if you had them together. And ideally, I want to have Mark Scheifele, Kyle Connor, and Nick Ehlers at the ready for when McDavid and Dreisaitl have to come off as a counter-strike. But Winnipeg can, but hasn't double-shifted its star players, and there is that possibility too. Point is, Winnipeg can roll four lines, but when the opposition is playing three lines and double-shifting star players in that three-line rotation, your matchups with four lines are shot unless you can put together a set of nine forwards that knows two are primarily 
there to negate, call it the McDavid Dreisaitl press, well, when the third weaker rotation of Edmonton is out, then gets blitzed by Winnipeg's most dynamic offensive threats in a counterattack. That's what Winnipeg could devise. They haven't done it yet. And the results against Edmonton and the overhyped other Canadian team reflect they haven't. Now, a counter double shift for Winnipeg is another possibility. Here's a nine-player idea for Winnipeg for the star overload. You could have Cop, Lowry, and Appleton play a shift, then double shift Cop with Shifley and Wheeler, then double shift Shifley with Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers when the star players have double shifted and therefore Winnipeg would switch so a double shift would force Winnipeg's most dangerous offensive trio to be in a mismatch with Edmonton's star players already have double shifted. I mean, everyone can come up with varying combinations. I mean, Paul Statsny is good defensively. Maybe Cop isn't double shifted. I have mixed feelings or mixed drinks on what to do with Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's a top six player just with the third line so solid, is it not Statsny and Dubois that sit to prop up Shifley and Ehlers' time on ice on a shortened bench, or would it be Appleton and Cop? This isn't easy to figure out, but I still think Winnipeg coach Paul Maurice needs to. I know everyone is going to say the fourth line going into the game versus the overhyped other Canadian team hasn't given up a goal against at 5-on-5 play, and I believe that still actually remains a fact after the sets of games that we're talking about going into Friday night. But against elite players, your best players have to outplay them. You need a shortened bench plan if you want to play matchups with Edmonton and the overhyped other Canadian team. To me, Winnipeg doesn't have this set up, and the results are just rolling four lines against three that hasn't been effective or wouldn't I be sitting here talking to you about a first-place Winnipeg team? Wouldn't I be? We can talk about the latest top-six shuffle of having Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, and Nick Ehlers, the team's most dynamic players, and arguably, they can become one of the best trios in the NHL. However, for those of you just watching the North Division, I do believe Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Gabriel Landeskog in Colorado still have that best trio on lock and i haven't watched a nanosecond of the east division this far so there are eight teams i haven't watched as little as i would have liked to watch the overhyped other canadian team this year of the 23 i have colorado's top line to me is hockey's best trio but winnipeg's newly formed one can give them a run for their money when teams want to play four lines winnipeg can However, the top nine and whom to potentially double shift to me is something I would like Winnipeg to do against the top heavy teams that utilize a forward overload and double shift their star players. Thoughts on an additional Winnipeg defenseman. The best upgrade at defense at the trade deadline is Matthias Ekholm. To me, Columbus's David Savard is a carbon copy of Derek Forbert, having watched both Forbert has in fact played better than Savard this year. GM David Poyle probably will end up staying pat because of Nashville's recent success. It's a shame Nashville could use the assets. What's the point of making the playoffs if they do just to get turfed in four games by Tampa Bay, Carolina, or Florida in round one as Nashville surely will? 
Maybe Winnipeg could try and get Calgary's Chris Tanna via trade. That's the guy I wanted them to get in the first place in free agency. Vancouver's Alex Edler is another possibility, provided Calgary or Vancouver retain salary, it seems to me, at least for this year, or if Winnipeg could find a third team to bury it on, such as San Jose in a three-way deal. I don't think GM Kevin Dayoff stands pat. He's never shied away from a deadline splash. Arizona has three 30-plus-year-old D-men. I should maybe mention Alex Golgoski, Nick Yalmerson, and Jason Demers. The notable Arizona guy that was tried to be moved because of salary before the season began was Oliver ekman Larson. He didn't waive his no-trade clause, but it doesn't mean that the Arizona GM Bill Armstrong isn't still wanting to move him. The best value Arizona guy is bottom pair Jordan Osterley. He has a great salary, and he actually does an amazing job in that bottom role, except Winnipeg really needs a top four guy. The absolutely staying in Arizona defenseman is Jacob Chikrin. If you haven't been watching Arizona, it's not OELSD group anymore. It's actually Chikrin going forward. Winnipeg's team metrics heading into Friday night. Winnipeg is tied for 7th in goal scores at 3.24 per game. The power play is 4th in the league at 26.2% success rate. The goals allowed is 14th at 2.73. The hard goals allowed per game drop slightly for the second time we have done a Winnipeg podcast. The shots allowed, however, is 31.3 a game. 22nd in the NHL. The PK is at a 79.6% success rate to be 15th. However, at seven minutes penalties per game, that is the sixth fewest in the league. Since our last Winnipeg look at the team metrics, none of the hard numbers went up or down by one percentage point. If anything, that's consistency. Winnipeg's useless factoid. The Overhyped other Canadian team was the last of the North Division teams to play in Winnipeg this season, proving the NHL scheduling does sometimes mirror the sentiment of the city as they are also the team Winnipeggers wanted to see last, or in my case, sadly, playing Winnipeg at all. Thumbs up, rookie defenseman, six foot seven Logan Stanley has to be the biggest surprise player on the team for the Jets this year. In a bottom pairing role, he has now played 25 games for the team because of Nathan Beaulieu's injury. He scored a beauty for his first goal on an offensive zone pinch in the 4-2 loss at Calgary. And for his curse-filled celebration caught on national television, we fucking love him more. Thumbs down, hate to do this, but the pair of third-period goals against by Laurent Brassois in that 4-2 loss at Calgary can't go in. He has been stellar in his limited relief, with the exception of that third period. Unfortunately, the team battled to be tied after two periods, then to lose on two soft goals, and that ultimately cost them valuable points in the standings. In other Winnipeg news, Sunday-Monday games versus Vancouver are postponed as Vancouver is on a COVID-19 pause until April 6th. That began when their Wednesday, March 31st game versus Calgary was postponed. Two players and one of the coaching staff went on the COVID protocol-related absence list, causing the team forced break and play. On 
Injured reserve right wing Blake Wheeler undisclosed his day-to-day. Left-end defenseman Nathan Beaulieu, upper body, late-breaking news Friday, had put the 28-year-old defenseman on long-term injured reserve, and he will miss the rest of the season after having surgery on a torn labrum on his shoulder. He hadn't played since March the 9th. Winnipeg will have an additional $1.25 million in cap space by putting him on long-term injury reserve ahead of this year's trade deadline. As far as it relates to Wheeler being out, Jansen harkens to me as a player that comes into the lineup if Wheeler can't play, although I don't hate the idea of an 11-forward 7-D set, but I'd also like to see Villain Hinola be the 7-D You can file that under a list of things Winnipeg fans won't actually see. I think Harkins is the guy that comes in on a 12-6 set for Winnipeg. Up next, there are two games. Friday versus the overhyped other Canadian team and Thursday at Montreal. The second game of that two-game set with Montreal will be covered in the next pod. Winnipeg would have had played two versus Vancouver, those games will have to be made up at a later date. This podcast may be up Saturday afternoon after Winnipeg plays the Friday game. They have only lost two in regulation in a row this season. So Friday's game versus the overhyped other Canadian team is going to test that one as they lost the first one. Winnipeg has fared well versus Montreal, but both the games are against teams above the playoff cutoff line. As we only focus on Winnipeg, here is Winnipeg's divisional rivals in under two minutes. The overhyped other Canadian team remains atop the North, 6.81 point percentage as they recently beat Winnipeg, as we've talked about, and that put them three points up on Winnipeg with the second game after this recorded, but before it's edited. Even a Winnipeg win, we would say, would put Winnipeg a point behind, still having played an extra game. Montreal, after a league-imposed COVID pause, returned to action this week. A win on Thursday over Ottawa actually improved their point percentage that was just over Edmonton's to be up to 621 point percentage. That's a percentage point less than Winnipeg's 622 point percentage. Montreal, as mentioned last week, have the least regulation losses but that's combined with the most overtime shootout losses. However, with four games in hand on both Winnipeg and Edmonton, Montreal are still in the battle for top spot in the North Division, although they are four points behind Edmonton, five behind Winnipeg. For that reason, it is actually a four-team chase for top spot and also looks that whatever the final order is, that the four teams that will make the North Division playoffs are those teams. Edmonton has a 608 point percentage and had played the identical games to Winnipeg at 37 at the recording of this week's podcast. Still, by points, they are one behind Winnipeg and four out of a tie for first. Let's just say it falls into the horse race that's too close to call. The four holding playoff spot teams continue to have plus team goal differentials while the three outside looking in have negative ones. Calgary had their point percentage fall again this week to be at 473 point percentage, but stay fifth on account of having more regulation wins, the first tiebreaker, as Vancouver, who stayed sixth, but whose point percentage stayed 
exactly at 473 point percentage. Calgary and Vancouver have matching win-loss records in the same number of games played. They would have met if not for Vancouver's current COVID pause. Ottawa's point percentage dropped a bit as they continue to be last seventh in the North Division with a 378 point percentage. Just a reminder that was heading into Friday, April 2nd's games this week that I anticipate are played by the time you're listening to this Saturday and hopefully not Sunday this week, fingers crossed. Final podcast thought. Thank you for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week. As the podcast confirms at least the battle for fourth and final playoff spot in our three focus teams, Chicago, Dallas, and Nashville part of this podcast the discover central is going to make for exciting podcasts probably right till the season's end winnipeg in the north looks playoff bound so keeping up on them has a playoff feel to it already now the trade deadline day is fast approaching april 12th canada did approve quarantine rules of seven days as we expected and reported last week still more chatter than moves thus far I will leave you this week with Chicago coach Jeremy Colton's response to hearing Carolina coach Rob Brindamore calling Chicago's 2-1 win gross. Colton's response, they are in a different position than us. Maybe they can worry about style points. of Johnson & Johnson's winter wellness event and get rewarded. It pays to be prepared for the season. Get sweet deals from Johnson & Johnson's winter wellness event now through December 3rd. If you purchase $15 or $25 of participating products at BJ's, you can get a $5 or $10 reward. Plus, you can even enter to win a Visa Rewards card. Purchase at BJ's, upload your receipt, and choose your reward. It pays to be prepared at BJ's. How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday.